0: to another episode of Liver Health Podcast. Tonight I'd like to introduce my co-chairs, Will. Good evening, John. And Paul. Hello, gentlemen. Um, today we're going to talk about alcohol and its effects on our health. Um, as liver doctors, we see a lot of the worst consequences of alcohol, including liver failure and death. But today we're going to talk about all aspects of alcohol. Um, the first thing I want to talk about Paul, and I think you know most about this, is the history of alcohol in our ancestors.
1: Yeah, thanks, John. It's important, I think, to reflect on the sort of biological evolution of alcohol, and by that I mean a lot of people have this perception that human exposure to alcohol is a recent invention, that we've only been drinking alcohol or exposed to it, you know, over the last two or three hundred years since there's been a formal formal fermentation in pubs. But actually, um, our biological ancestors have been exposed to alcohol for millions and millions of years. So the first thing to point out is our microbiome, and that's the population of bugs that live inside us, make alcohol. So every man, woman and child on the planet has alcohol in their blood 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. So the premise that alcohol is some modern-day invention like processed foods and harming us is not true when you think about it that way. And the amount of alcohol made by your microbiome is about 10 grams a day, so that's about the same as one alcoholic drink per day.
0: So, so hang on a second. Paul, you're trying to say that every person on this planet produces alcohol. Will, you, you've, you've mentioned this to me before. What's the story? It, can you have so much alcohol that you can be intoxicated? What's... Believe it or not, I think Paul is
2: quite right. The microbiome does have the ability to ferment and make alcohol, although it makes it only in small quantities, so it is not thought to be clinically significant. Although there are case reports of some people who claim to have have made so much alcohol that they've actually got drunk. And even a a famous case in the United States where someone used that as their defence for a drink-driving charge so I think it is possible, but it's extremely uncommon that people can make such high levels of alcohol that it can be clinically detected.
0: And um, that's that's called auto-brewers. auto
2: brewery syndrome, yeah. yeah. So a very rare syndrome, quite fascinating, and perhaps we do another podcast on it at some other stage.
0: We have it scheduled.
1: <laughs> and actually, there's, interestingly, there's some scientific data, like the your microbiome makes alcohol from sugar, so you... If we have a lot of sugar in our diet, your microbiome makes more ethanol or alcohol than if you have a low-sugar diet. And some of the evidence suggesting that what we eat causes fatty liver disease or liver damage um, in those people who have a poor diet or a diet high in carbohydrates, there's the scientific hypothesis, but and that is because your gut is making too much alcohol, causing the liver damage. So it's quite interesting that the micro- microbiome might be the mechanism-linking you know, diet with liver disease, at least in this example.
2: So, Paul, so far you've talked about alcohol, and I think what we're really referring to there is ethanol, but there are different types of alcohol. So ethanol is the common one that we think of in the drinks that we consume, beer, wine, spirits... But some of the other more common types of alcohol are isopropyl alcohol, which people may have encountered in hand washing. So that's the common alcohol that people use to clean their hands. And another type of alcohol is called methanol, and methanol is a highly toxic form of alcohol, uh, but is still made through not a, a similar process. And in fact, is a byproduct of distillery. So if someone's making gin or whiskey. One of the alcohols that they will make, along with ethanol, is actually methanol. And one of the jobs of a distiller is to separate the alcohols, extract the ethanol, which can be drunk, and discard the methanol. So methanol poisoning is a serious disorder, and it does happen on occasion, um, and can cause life-threatening damage and blindness and a variety of other syndromes.
0: Isn't that where the, the term blind drunk comes from? Correct, John. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I, I'm going to ask you a question, I'm not sure if you know this, but do you, do you know how acute methanol poisoning is treated? I've
2: only seen reports of methanol poisoning and usually in situations where um, I think people have drunk contaminated alcohol in poorly regulated sort of um, areas and countries and um, John, I've never actually seen someone who's suffered from methanol poisoning.
0: I've never seen, seen it, but I've read about how to treat it. And actually, and I, I remember being fascinated as a medical student, because there's, there are very few conditions you actually treat with alcohol. And actually methanol poisoning you treat with intravenous or a drip of alcohol, and it displaces the the methanol from its toxic um, products. It's an so extraordinary it's, thought
2: giving someone an infusion of alcohol to treat their methanol poisoning yeah. that they developed because they were drinking alcohol.
0: Yeah, the, the only other time I've ever seen it, and you would have seen it, Paul, as well, would be in patients who, have, who are withdrawing so badly from alcohol that no um, medication, and other medication, can control their seizures. And in, in situations there, ethanol is given to those people who have got ser- serious ethanol withdrawal. But we can talk a little bit about those effects later. So, Paul,
2: you know, alcohol is. I, mean, I guess humans have a really complex relationship with alcohol. In a way, um, we enjoy it, but it has potential benefits that we'll talk about and potential harms. But, but can you maybe take us through how we manage it? How do our bodies deal with alcohol? How do we break it down? Yeah, the, the most of the
1: body's chemistry is done by the liver. Um, and there's a specific enzyme or a set of enzymes in the liver. and Enzymes are chemical sort of proteins that help accelerate reactions in the body. And the job of this enzyme is to break down alcohol into a into a uh, ultimately into a non toxic byproduct. And there's a you know specific name for this enzyme. Every human in the world has got it. And interestingly, every primate in the world has got it. And there's Back to my evolutionary hypothesis that we've evolved with alcohol, there is data that shows that the type of enzymes we have in our liver changed about 10 million years ago. So we went from having an enzyme that was not very good at metabolising alcohol to a super metaboliser that was 40 times more effective. And the evolutionary biologists think that this happened because we moved from living in the trees to walking around on the ground This is our ancestors, 10 million years ago. And when they were walking around on the ground, they were eating much more fruits that had fallen from the trees, for example. And fruit, especially ripe fruit, has alcohol in it. And so our ancient ancestors were exposed to much more environmental alcohol. They were eating it rather than drinking it. And because of that, our our ancient ancestors developed enzymes to be much more, to be capable to metabolise Alcohol at a higher rate.
2: So, this would be fruit that is sitting on the ground fermenting naturally due to bugs and yeast and fungus that's sort of uh, fermenting the sugars in the fruit.
0: Isn't there evidence also that that more modern primates have a a preference for alcohol if they were given a choice? Wasn't there a study that you, you were talking about earlier, Paul, that shows that?
1: Yeah, there's one, I think, fantastic study where other Modern primates. So these are primates with the same alcohol enzyme as in us, the sort of fast metabolizers. So these primates were these primates are little monkeys that drink nectar from plants. And they they were offered two nectar solutions, one with one percent alcohol and one with five percent alcohol. And five percent alcohol is about the same alcohol content as beer. And the aim was to see whether animals or primates in this example seek preferentially seek out alcohol from the environment or not, whether they like it better than just sugary water. And actually, in this study, the primates sought out the high alcohol content solution, again suggesting that there's some evolutionary advantage for at least primates to be seeking out alcohol in the environment.
2: Alcohol might stimulate some sort of euphoria and endorphins, I guess, is one possibility. But alcohol also is an energy source um and contains calories um i mean do you think that evolutionary you know animals are seeking out foods rich in calories to use as an energy source is that possible
1: yeah i guess we you can't really say what's the driver for some primate to be seeking out alcohol in the environment but probably lots of things i think it's probably just not neurological yep. there's yes it's an energy source it's a natural disinfectant so foods with so methanol in them, for example, an overripe apple is probably not going to make them sick
0: i, mean, I there are neurological effects though I mean you, we know that there is a dopamine release and and dopamine is associated with pleasure, but it 's also a central nervous system depressant as well, so it actually sort of depresses the nervous system, so people often think it's not it makes you cheerful and happy, but actually there there are some depressant effects but we'll we talk about that a little bit later. Um, there, there are some people who cannot take alcohol, isn't that right, Paul? There, there are some yeah. groups of people who cannot metabolize it properly. Yeah,
1: interestingly, although I said about forty million years ago, our ancient ancestors had this enzyme that became a super super enzyme that was much better at metabolizing alcohol. That is that is true for Caucasians and Africans, um, but not true for a lot of Asian people. So this this mutation um or there is a um, enzyme variant in Asian populations that means they metabolize alcohol differently from Caucasian populations and is a reason why some al- some Asian people get flushing and feel unwell with you know moderate amounts of alcohol.
0: And with with that goes a, a reduced tendency in those populations to have, an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, and a higher rate of people who are completely abstinent from alcohol because actually they feel the ill effects when they have alcohol. So it's quite a really fascinating difference within our within our different um, group ethnic groups in the world. But I, I want to ask you both gentlemen, um, what is the the safe amount of alcohol to drink? Because I, I think our listeners will be be waiting for this. Th- this is a pivotal question. You know, what is what is the safe amount of alcohol that we can drink? Is such a simple question,
2: John? There should be a beautiful, concise, simple answer for you. But in fact, I think it's really complex. Um, I'm going to start by saying that most countries have a recommendation regarding what they consider to be safe or, at the very least, low risk of um, of ill effect. Um, so here in Australia, our uh, national health bodies recommend that people, adults, consume no more than 10 standard drinks per week and no more than four standard drinks on any one sitting. Is that for men and women? That's for men and women.
0: Now that's changed. It used
2: to be different for men and women. Yeah, we used to differentiate it. um, But I think in terms of creating a simplified model that's easy for people to remember... Um, And also reflects some of the large population data that we have about the health benefits and the health risks, that consuming one standard drink a day is at low risk of causing problems for the majority of people. And we might sort of just refine that in a few minutes and talk about some more specifics. And other countries have have different recommendations, but they're all in the same ballpark.
1: Will, what about two specific situations? Pregnant women and children.
2: Yeah, I think these are really important distinctions to make. There is no safe alcohol. There is no low-risk alcohol that should be consumed by children. Um, So children should not consume alcohol. It does have significant detrimental effects on their neurological development, their physiological development and social
0: development. And also there has been some evidence that the age at which you drink alcohol for the first time is quite closely related to your risk of an unhealthy relationship with alcohol as an adult and yeah. and i think there are some cultures where it has almost been um really encouraged for children to drink alcohol at ceremonies and uh, various festivals but actually we should be moving away from this
2: yeah it's a really important point point. and i guess the other person or group of people that you mentioned are pregnant females and that is again another really important group that should avoid alcohol because of the detrimental effect that alcohol has on the developing fetus.
1: So will units of alcohol per week or four or more a night above that is best avoided but what's what's a drink yeah I'd like define that for us.
2: Yeah, again, so different countries have different definitions of what a standard drink is, um, and that's important. So I'm going to refer – in Australia, we count a standard drink or a unit of alcohol as being 10 grams of alcohol. So what contains 10 grams of alcohol? Well, roughly that is 30 mils of spirits or 60 mils of fortified wine or 100 mils of table wine, red wine or white wine. Or 285 mils of standard strength beer. Um, so each of those volumes contain one standard drink.
1: So a stubby of beer then will is one and a half ish standard drinks, and a bottle of wine is about eight standard
2: drinks. Correct.
0: What's a stubby? <laughs> it's
2: an Australianism, it's a small bottle of beer done it, okay. you so, seen sorry, one? sorry I, i've been here 20 you, 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 years you,
0: you, but uh no wonder no one ever serves me when i ask for a pint of beer they just they look at me blankly but seriously I, it, you've just told us that the australian guideline is less than 10 units for men and women per week 10 Yep. Yeah. is that right 10, 10 standard or 10 10 units of alcohol yeah. per a week so is it safe to drink below that level so is
2: it safe to abstain from alcohol?
0: Oh, no, I'm not asking that question. I'm asking it. They've given us a guideline of maximum. Is it, safe, is it safe to drink below that? So if I'm drinking nine units regularly every week, is that safe? Am I at no increased risk of any harm?
2: Yeah. Can I say it depends again? It's a really good question and it should be simple to answer.
0: I'm being mischievous, you know you, this. You are me? being yeah. very naughty, John, because by you, saying this. I mean, I want you to, to tell the listeners about the J-curve. Yeah. And I want you to, to tell us about the evidence and, and what, what you think about it. Okay.
2: So in medical science, we like to do randomised studies. We like to give people an agent and we like to give people a placebo and follow them for a long period of time to assess outcomes. But in alcohol, it's an extremely difficult thing to do. So we rely on evidence from... Large populations um, and very large studies which have looked at the consumption of alcohol have been done in a variety of different populations and have demonstrated that compared to people who don't drink any alcohol, so abstainers, people that drink a small amount of alcohol within those guidelines, so less than one standard drink per day, actually may have a lower rate of certain health conditions, particularly cardiovascular conditions, compared to the abstainers. But once the amount of alcohol they consume increases above that level, their rate of mortality and other diseases starts to increase. Um, So there may be a safe amount of drinking, um, but too much alcohol beyond that creates additional health problems. Less than that, there may be a high rate of conditions such as heart disease.
0: But you know, to your average 19-year-old, they're they're not going to die of a heart attack in the next 10, 20, 30 years. Actually, their greatest risk is trauma or or getting intoxicated and and making foolish decisions. So actually, you know, if we were to nut it down, th- those epidemiological studies are really interesting and you're, you know, the J-curve is interesting. But actually, the, the harm and benefit is a much more complicated question, isn't Absolutely.
2: it? Absolutely. I think that's why I say it depends. It's a really complex answer because yep. it depends on the individual. The health benefits that have been seen with alcohol, and, and Paul can tell us more about this, but it, it, the major health benefit may relo- rely on reduction in cardiovascular disease. And
0: I mean, I, I think one of the things we have, we've missed maybe talking about, and, and this has to be put in the context of this, is the, the World Health Organisation has quantified the magnitude of the problem with alcohol on this planet. And there, there are thought to be 3 million deaths per year um, which are attributable to alcohol uh, and the effects of alcohol. And, and of all deaths on this planet, uh, about 5.3% of them are attributable to alcohol. So it's, it's actually, there is a real problem with alcohol. Even though there is a, a, a love, love relationship with, with humans and this, this drug, um, there is actually a harm.
2: No, I think the thing that's right. I mean, our, we. I think humans have a really complex relationship with alcohol. We know it can be toxic, we know it can be a carcinogen, and we know it can be dependent forming. Um, but at the same time, it is part of many cultures. Um, and I I think, you know, it's, it's, it's quite fascinating, I think, that there is evidence to suggest that a low amount of alcohol may reduce the risk of certain conditions, particularly cardiovascular conditions. And, and
1: I think getting this part right actually is really important because I think most people know that drinking too much is bad for you. I think the line in the sand, we're drinking too much, meaning more than 10 units, has changed over time. And that's, I think, important information for people. But this modest alcohol intake and health discussion is really important. And so we've got to really make it clear for everybody listening, what the, what the data suggests. And just to, just to talk about cancer for a sec, so you talked about carcinogen, and that will, for the non-scientific people, means a chemical that causes cancer. And alcohol is a carcinogen. And even at tiny doses, um, what's really important is tiny doses, so one or two drinks a week, increases your risk of breast cancer, and that is very, very relevant to women with a family history of breast cancer or a, a personal history of breast cancer. So probably for those women, they should be non-drinkers.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've I've read before that about 10% of breast cancers are thought to be attributable to alcohol, so it is quite significant.
1: And it increases, even in small doses, alcohol increases your risk of other cancers, so liver cancer, mouth cancer, esophageal cancer, stomach cancer, maybe bowel cancer. But actually also, interestingly, it, it seems to be associated with a reduction in the risk of some sort of blood cancers, possibly prostate cancer and thyroid cancer and kidney cancer. So this this discussion is really nuanced and it depends, especially the cancer part of it, on your personal history. And the same, I think the point John was making before about age and risk, yeah, look, if a 19-year-old's having four or five units a night, he probably has got an increased risk of dying not from some medical thing, but from, you know, doing something silly. And that is quite different from a 50-year-old who's having a glass or two of red wine two or three nights a week with dinner, and maybe their risk of dying in the next 10 years is mainly from cardiovascular risk, and their risk is going to be reduced probably by moderate alcohol. So this part of the discussion is really nuanced and depends on your, you know, how old you are your, your, and your per- personal health history.
2: So it's worth saying that I think governments can make a recommendation for their population, but for each individual, I think you have to be more careful about the individual risks, and there may be different guidelines for different individuals.
0: Can I take you back, Paul, to to the modern primates? I mean, we are a modern primate, and there is a A love of alcohol in many cultures, and you know, there's some cultures that there's no alcohol consumed, but there there is a relationship between humans and alcohol, which to some, in some ways, socially provides the individual a feeling of an advantage, Um, and that and that's driving it, isn't it? You know, the, the young person who's 19 who goes to a party and feels, you know, awkward and anxious, he feels slightly disinhibited by drinking some alcohol and it feels like he can go up and talk to someone easily that, that, that that's what we're competing against though isn't it the health harms versus this sort of social drive for people to consume this drug um and i, I wanted you to tell me will maybe a little bit more about you know what, what those drivers are and and um, because that's what we the, the public and people who are listening have got children are, are combating they're, they're trying to you know advise their children to drink sensibly but there's this urge for them to drink more Yeah,
2: well, I mean, alcohol can cross directly into the brain. So not only can it affect the liver and and cells throughout the body, but it can also cross into the brain and affect the functioning of the brain. Um, And, you know, I guess the way I think about the brain is that we exist on a balance between certain chemicals in the brain trying to sort of calm us down and certain chemicals in the brain trying to stimulate us and rev us up.
1: So there's like, um, like a seesaw, Will, going on all the time, getting the right we're, balance. We're
2: in a state of sort of balance. Um, and, and people might experience that walking into a room and seeing a whole lot of people that they don't know. That promotes a sort of anxiety-type situation. And alcohol can actually stimulate the chemicals which slow us down. so I mean, that sounds confusing. But, but it actually sort of enhances the effect of the chemicals which calm us down. And so they
0: relax your muscles. They relax certainly. us, yeah.
2: So so that might sort of help us in a social situation, which we find anxiety provoking. As people drink more and more alcohol, though, alcohol starts to affect some of the other chemicals, and so the chemicals which are trying to rev us up start to get suppressed by alcohol, and that's when our speech becomes slurred and we start to slow down and become somnolent. So the effects of the brain can be quite significant.
0: And um, th- let's go back to the, the harm. I mean, they're, they're some of the harmful effects. But um, let's talk about the liver, because the the most of the public will consider alcohol related to liver cirrhosis, this condition of scarring of the liver and liver disease. Um, can you can you tell me, Paul, because you've, you've worked with a lot of patients who have had serious alcohol problems. Um, what what happens to the liver when people drink a lot of alcohol?
1: Well, in the short term, they get fat going into the liver. There should be little or no fat in the liver. And fat, excess fat in the liver in some people causes inflammation. And that inflammation in some people goes on to cause scarring. And when the scarring crosses at a certain amount of, uh, certain certain quantity of um, scarring in, within the liver, we call that you know, sort of arbitrary definition of cirrhosis. So that's cirrhosis it means a lot of scarring and, you know, generally permanent scarring and damage. Up until, really importantly, with alcoholic liver disease, though, or in liver disease that occurs in people who drink too much, almost always the disease is reversible. So that's really, really important for people to know. Unlike your brain or your heart, when they're damaged, almost always you end up with permanent damage. Uh, but almost almost the opposite was is true is with liver injury, that most often you can turn things around with, when we're talking about alcohol, with abstaining from alcohol,
0: and and just just for the people who who have maybe family members or themselves, and they're a bit worried about the amount of alcohol they're drinking, how 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 do how do we recognise if if we or, or our friends or relatives are drinking too much? How do we how do we quantify it? Will,
2: yeah. So I mean, beyond just the amount of recommendations that we've talked about, the units of alcohol, I think we need to think about the social and personal effects of alcohol. So if you are finding that you need alcohol to get yourself started, to uh, if you're choosing alcohol over certain social relationships or, or work responsibilities, um, if alcohol is starting to control various aspects of your social or physical functioning, then they are signs that you may have an alcohol problem.
1: So the social markers will... If it's compromising your psychological well-being or social well-being, you need to seriously reflect on it. And, of course, we talked about this sort of medical well-being line in the sand of being more than 10 units per week. So it's not just social harm and psychological harm and cirrhosis will. You know, alcohol causes liver cancer, mouth cancer, throat cancer, esophageal cancer, stomach cancer, colorectal cancer, breast cancer, liver cancer. It increases especially heavy alcohol, increases your risk of heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure, dementia, brain injury, trauma, violence, family violence, sexual violence. So anything above moderate alcohol is really, really bad for your health.
0: And and actually those, you know, it's really important that we emphasise this, or the harm, but those harms are not, for all groups. They're, they're more for some and, and more for others. And so, for example, the trauma, the violence, they're much more in the younger group, although they can occur in the elderly as well. But, but actually, you know, car accidents, being intoxicated, having injuries when you're intoxicated. Um, but there are a number of factors that affect your your rate of intoxication, aren't there? So, so Will, tell, tell me about how, how do I avoid... Um, Or how do I advise a young person who who wants to drink to avoid acute intoxication?
2: Yeah, I mean, many of the harmful effects of alcohol are caused by the amount of alcohol that enters the bloodstream. So there are numerous factors which can influence how alcohol is absorbed into the body. So alcohol is absorbed in the gastrointestinal tract, which, of course, includes the stomach and in particular the small bowel where alcohol gets absorbed. So things that slow the amount of alcohol entering the small bowel can be really important. So um, there are things that slow the stomach emptying. So if you drink alcohol on a full stomach, um, that tends to slow the gastric emptying. So eating before you drink alcohol is important. Whereas conversely, drinking alcohol that's got lots of um, bubbles, so champagne or beer, can actually increase gastric emptying and that can increase the amount of alcohol entering the bloodstream.
0: And if you're dehydrated as well, isn't it? There's some evidence that that you can absorb more alcohol if you're dehydrated.
2: Yeah, absolutely, John. Um, Other factors including gender, muscle mass, um, uh, physical activity can all impact upon how alcohol is absorbed into the bloodstream.
1: So if you want to go at will and drink but not get drunk, how much can you have? Like what's a... A rule of thumb, how many drinks per hour or units per hour or stubbies per hour or pints per hour can you have?
2: Paul, as a rule of thumb, uh, males can probably drink two standard drinks in the first hour and then a drink per hour after that. For females, one standard drink per hour is reasonable. Um, But as we've already said, I think there are lots of factors that affect absorption. Um, So I think people do need to be cautious and I think as a general message that if you're... Planning on drinking, then you should certainly be planning on not driving.
0: And what about the calorie intake as well? You know, if people are drinking a lot, and um, there is an obesity epidemic, um, is there uh, any argument about not drinking because of the calorie content?
2: I mean, there are calories in alcohol, like there are in fats and carbohydrates and protein. And in fact, as a as a sort of molecule. Alcohol has a reasonable amount of calories. It's got about seven calories per gram compared to fat, which is about nine calories per gram. So you'd think that if you consume lots of alcohol, it
0: would impact negatively on your weight. I guess also with the young population, there's a trend to have alcohol with carbonated drinks which have got sugar in them. Yeah, so, sweet
2: cocktails yeah. and so forth, which yeah. which can exert a significant calorie load.
1: But actually, the I think the story about alcohol and weight gain is really interesting because it's not simple. And actually, if the relationship between calories and body weight were simple, there wouldn't be this obesity epidemic, so it's really complicated. Look, it might be like there's some data to suggest that wine does not make you put on weight. And this is from uh, two studies, and both of them were studies where 100 people got given a bottle of wine to drink per week And 100 people got given a bottle of mineral water to drink per week. And they measured two things at the end of it, one of which was body weight. And those, surprisingly, those who drank the bottle of wine per week had less weight gain than those who drank the water. So calories don't make you put on weight because wine's got more calories than water. But your body's reaction or response to the calories varies. The other thing that's really important is this study was done in diabetics. And it looked at really your... Risk of having a heart attack or a stroke when were you given you know some red wine for a year, and actually your blood pressure fell a little bit, your blood sugar was better, your blood cholesterol was better, suggesting this you know moderate doses of alcohol can be beneficial for your heart.
0: But alcohol is also a diuretic; it makes you pee more. So, could the weight loss just be because they were peeing more?
1: It could be, but a glass of wine a week, like a bottle of wine per week, I don't think it's enough that's enough to make you lose weight from weeing.
2: That's a fascinating story, Paul, um, and thanks for dispelling that common myth. There are a couple of other myths, I think, about alcohol, and one is that if you're drunk, you can sober up more quickly by having some coffee. Gentlemen, what do you think?
0: Well, I think we, we've discussed this a little bit in our podcast on coffee, but um, I, I suspect it's all about the, the stimulant effect of caffeine. Um, which is within coffee that perks people up, and we talked about before that there's a depressant effect from alcohol. And certainly, um, you know, people will know that if they've got partners who who have alcohol, they'll snore more because they have they, they have um, less awareness while they're asleep. But actually, it doesn't improve quality of sleep. So there's lots of myths associated with alcohol. Um, do you know the one about the, the St Bernards? Yeah, John, weren't they
2: the rescue dogs in the snow?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you remember the, the whole myth, but the myth is that um, someone would have a skiing accident or an avalanche um, accident and the St Bernard's would come up and, and give them a shot of brandy from the little barrel around their neck. Um, but actually, it's it's probably not a good idea because alcohol suppresses muscle contraction it reduces the shiver um, and so actually it doesn't help at all if you're exposed to cold Um, so that's another another myth of alcohol dispelled
1: yeah so the 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 skiing guy died more quickly but at least he was happy john
0: well he was happy he was he was um yeah but dead so what about the types of
2: alcohol we've we've talked about alcohol in a very general sense tonight but But do you think there are particular benefits that may relate to particular types of alcohol is wine better than spirits?
1: And there is data. So when you look at, like there's this, again, the J-shaped curve we talked about at the start of our chat, and that means that the risk of you dying prematurely is associated with the amount of alcohol you drink per week. So if you drink small or modest amounts of alcohol, so 10 units or less per week, your risk of dying from cardiovascular disease is reduced. And there's data looking at whether that relates to what you drink. And um, the data suggests that the greatest benefits uh, with red wine drinkers, greater than white wine drinkers, greater than spirits drinkers, greater than greater than beer drinkers, but all of them benefit. So yeah, I think all the alcohols are similar in conveying potential health benefits. And I dealt with conveying health um, problems and liabilities, uh, but there's there's minor variations I think in the greatest benefits uh, in in red wine drinkers.
0: Can we can we just go back a sec? Because and um, we talked we talked about you know some of the possible you know, benefits, a lot of the harms, um, but a lot of people really want to know: Am I drinking too much, or is my partner drinking too much? And i want to ask you both um ha- how can people assess this properly and what do they do what do they do if they feel that they are drinking too much who who should they go to who should they discuss it with what's the approach that we should be taking um if we feel that we're slipping into this increasing alcohol intake
2: yeah i mean i think we live in a society where there are many people who consume too much alcohol or for whom alcohol is a major problem either a physical problem or or causing social problems. Um, So I think talking to friends and family about that can be important and taking the advice of friends and family. Um, But a really important resource for people to use is their health practitioner, be their general practitioner or or other health advisor who can provide sort of realistic information to patients and also strategies to help reduce the amount of alcohol people are drinking if they're concerned about how much they're consuming.
0: I mean, there are many people out there who, who are drinking every day. And, and it may not be a huge amount every day, but they are they are getting into a habit of maybe coming back from work, having a beer, having a beer or two, maybe having a glass of wine at dinner. Um, and I, I do think that this is a slippery slope. I, I've seen it with quite a few of my patients where they've started like that, and then and the years roll over, the kids get a bit older, and then what becomes one or two glasses of wine becomes three or four glasses of wine. And, and actually... Uh, it, it is a problem that's quite a slow and it's a creep, and before you know it, in, in some individuals there is there is a, a, a excess amount of alcohol that's drunk every day. Yeah, I mean, I think it
2: can start off as a social habit, um, but it is a dependent-forming toxin, um, and it can easily become you can easily become quite dependent upon alcohol.
0: And there are lots of organisations to help, aren't there? Yeah, you know, there's Alcoholics Anonymous. There's actually. And the GPs are a really good resource, there's psychological um, help people can have, because often there's, there's a trigger, that, you know, people often take it to self-medicate, I think. They feel depressed, they feel isolated, and there may be a, a traumatic experience in childhood that's happened to them, and they're trying to forget it, and And I think some people use alcohol almost like a, an anaesthetic, to try and numb, numb the pain of living.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest challenges here is just recognising that there's a problem, and... Um, perhaps admitting to oneself that there's a problem and that you need help to manage that. And do there is help, help available.
0: I mean, in the patients who, who drink every day, do you, do you recommend um, they they try and stop for a, a few days or, or a week? or Because actually, I think that's one of the things about dependence, isn't it? Actually, the inability to stop without getting symptoms.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think that is... That is really the definition of dependence. And I think it varies what you recommend to patients. I think there's some patients who can um, stop drinking alcohol quite quickly and have managed to do that. Others need a process of alcohol reduction. Others need to transition to um, an alternative or an alcohol-free um, type drink. Um, I think there's lots of different alternatives. There's not one prescription you can provide for everyone. I think it just um, it needs to be tailored to the individual.
0: I mean, people who, who are habitually drinking, I sometimes talk to them about dog days and cat days. Do you do you ever talk about that?
2: No, tell us, John.
0: Um, so so dog days are days off grog. Um, so dog and cat days are consuming alcohol today. And and actually, in some people who, who are consuming too much, I think it's a very good idea to have days where you have absolutely no alcohol and you start the day in the beginning of that day saying, I'm not going to have any alcohol. And actually, really trying to increase the number of dog days compared to cat days is one of the first steps that I do with patients who seem to have a habitual habit with alcohol. And I I find it quite helpful, and the patients find it quite helpful, I think.
1: And again, going back to the, this is not talking about heavy alcohol, but again talking about modest alcohol, so this is 10 units or less. And again, when you look at the data that is associated with a maximum survival, are people who drank three or four days a week. So the whole thing of having days off, there is actually scientific data to support it, so not having one and a half glasses every night, but maybe having two glasses every second night probably is better for you biologically.
0: And, and it gets back to the liver as well because the liver is an amazing organ for regeneration. And, and all three of us will have seen it where we've seen patients who are so, so sick and all the metrics that we do in, in medicine to work out whether that patient's going likely to live or die suggest that patient's got a very high probability of dying and they stop drinking and then their liver recovers and they get better. And 18 months later, you may look at their blood tests and you look at that patient. And if you didn't know, you would never have known that patient was that close to death. So is you know, anyone who has a problem with alcohol out there, I would say to you, it's incredibly important that you understand that stopping alcohol, if you have a problem, can reverse the effects. And I, I think some people feel that they've just gone too far. They're not worthy of treatment. They, they feel that it's all being brought upon themselves. And I would say the opposite. I say often there's reasons why you've become uh, you know, addicted to alcohol. And if you stop alcohol, it's not all gone. You can get better. You can recover. You can be normal again.
2: All right. Well, I think we can all agree that we have a really sort of complex relationship with alcohol. Um, it is a drug of dependence. It can be a carcinogen. Um, uh, it has significant health harms. But it can be used responsibly at the same time. So I think, um, you know, that, that adds to the complexity that we see with our management of alcohol. Um, thanks, gentlemen, for tonight. It's been very informative. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Will. We'll see you next time.
1: Thanks, Will. Thanks, John.
2: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Liver Health Pod. We hope you found it interesting and entertaining. But remember, while we are doctors, we are not your doctor. You are unique and you deserve personalised medical advice, which is essential for making informed decisions about your health and well-being. Because the information presented in this podcast is general in nature, it may not be relevant to your circumstances and is not a substitute for professional advice from your healthcare professional. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the organisations we work for. In fact, those organisations don't even know that we've made this podcast. So if you've enjoyed listening, don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to tune in to our next episode on coffee. You can also leave a review and a rating which will help others find us. Thanks for listening. Till next time.